Welcome to Take a Seat, a podcast by The Connection Table. I'm your host, Joe Palmer. I'm a business owner and a remote work advocate, and I'm passionate about rural Australia having a seat at the decision-making table. In each episode, I talk with leaders with rural roots who have found themselves at decision-making tables in Australia and internationally. As I delve into each guest's leadership journey, I hope my conversations will inspire and encourage you to consider taking a seat at a decision-making table. I acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands across Australia from wherever you are listening to this podcast, and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. In this episode, I speak with Edwina Sharrick. Edwina is a self-confessed leadership and professional development nut. Edwina trained as a midwife and transitioned into the startup world with the launch and development of her online birth education company, Birthbeat. We discuss how she has leveraged her rural location to drive her leadership journey and why she thinks we need to change the narrative around the perceived barriers that our geography may present. I hope you enjoy this conversation as I take a seat with Edwina Sharrick. Hello, Edwina. Hey, Joe. How are you going? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm very excited to talk to you again. I feel like this podcast is just a collection of Joe Palmer fangirl interviews <laughs> where <laughs> we just get to catch up. <laughs> where I get to interview all these firecrackers that I've been watching them doing really cool stuff for a really long time. So thank you. Thank oh, you in and advance. And right back at you. I feel like, hello. We're... <laughs> We're all fangirls of yours too. Well, that's very kind of you to say that and thank you. I've got that now on a recording. So um, I will bring that back to <laughs> to light if I need Play to, to down your the family track. And friends. A hundred percent. This is what I now listen to at nighttime is my own dulcet tones on podcasts. <laughs> so I really, really am actually interested to talk to you um, about this topic and concept of leadership because we've talked plenty of times over the years about a variety of different things, um, but we haven't actually really sort of talked about this. And I think that this is like a really um, key part of, mm. of us doing this podcast is because women in particular, it's just not something that you sort of sit around and talk about. And it's it's not something that quite often happens um, as organically as it should. So I'm very yeah. excited to sort of hear, well, initially, like how do you define leadership and what does it sort of mean to you? Um, and and I, I like how you started with that because, again, I probably didn't have a very good awareness of, you know, natural leaders or people who were good leaders or great leaders and what made them great leaders. And it would have been through doing the Australian Rural Leadership Program that was a really structured course that I learned more about leadership. So my definition, my definition is very much the generic definition about someone who can take a group and move them from one place or one attitude to another. Um, how they do that is often what is the characteristics of leadership that I think is really interesting. You know, are they someone that leads from the front? Are they the soft, quiet leader that's supporting the group to get there on their own? Um, I think that's the really interesting piece. My definition is someone that can move a group from one place, you know, place A to place B, whether that's in opinion or, you know, actually getting the job done. But how they do that is the really interesting piece. 
Yeah, I guess doing the Australian Rural Leadership Program, you would have got to see a real, well, I guess the spectrum of that sort of leadership. Was that quite like um, an eye-opener? Like to anyone listening to this, if ever there's an opportunity, if anyone ever shoulder taps you and says that you should look at this program, so this is a program for anybody who is living or working with or involved in communities in rural, regional and remote Australia, Um, and it's an 18-month leadership program. And I I don't say this lightly, it truly was life-changing. It did happen at such a critical time for me in my life. So I, um, I'm a midwife and I work in health and I had been working as a clinician and I was seconded by New South Wales Health into a leadership role, not something that I had applied for, not something that I was very well equipped for, but it was right at the beginning of that leadership journey that I started the course, so just the timing and what I was able to pull out of the course and the parallels and learning about myself as a leader and learning about how I communicate and connect with people, like it was just so perfectly timed. Um, and at the time, I was like, what I learned was I was a pretty ordinary leader. Do you know what I mean? I, I didn't have very good self-awareness and I didn't have very good awareness of how my impacts might affect others it was through that program that I really started to learn about that and I am obsessed in this space now like I have continued at the time I think my son Theo was a baby when I started that course and he's now nine and I would say I've solidly continued with my professional but personal growth and courses and particularly focused on leadership you know pretty obsessively for nine years Okay, well, this is exhibit A of why we need to talk about leadership more regularly because I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'm, I'm a personal and professional development and growth nut. Well, there you go. Well, I'm glad we got you. This is even more exciting now. <laughs> so um, you touched on there your background in midwifery. Do you want to give us a bit of a, a rundown of, of who you are and sort of what you do? Sure. So um, I'm a registered nurse and a registered midwife. I grew up in rural New South Wales in a town called Tamworth. Go Tamworth. Um, Went off to Sydney, studied and always wanted to get out of Tamworth. You know, like as a teenager, I found it so boring and I wanted to get to Sydney and I wanted to play hockey and go to Sydney University and do all these fun, exciting things. Uh, I started doing some travelling around Australia And my dad actually got sick with lung cancer. Um, I'm the youngest of four girls. And with that diagnosis, I decided to come home. And I was like, I'm only coming home for 12 months. I'll help mum. And then I'll be getting back to Sydney, getting back to London. And that was 15 years ago, Joe. And I absolutely love living in rural Australia now. Look, I just, the thought of, I travel to cities for work and the most exciting part is getting on the plane or driving out of the city, um, heading home. I feel like we truly are the lucky ones. And I worked at the local hospital. I studied midwifery. I worked in the emergency department. I then worked with the Westpac Retrieval Service. So sort of had a real variety of jobs at the same time. My then boyfriend, who's now my husband, uh, we also worked for New South Wales Fire and Rescue. So we drove big red trucks around town with, you know, both pretty um, adrenaline-seeking people. And we're now raising our young family. So Polly, my daughter, is 11. Theo, my son, is nine. And my side hustle of teaching birth education, which is a little company that's now called Birth Beat, 
became my full-time job about four years ago when just the growth and the scale and the success of that just went a bit bananas. Even before COVID, we were experiencing a lot of success. And then when COVID happened, all face-to-face birth education classes stopped um, and we were really well established to provide online birth education. And we do that directly to consumers, but we also do it through hospitals and we do it through corporate organisations And that's what I do now. I am a full-time birth educator and my passion for that started with, again, women in rural areas not being able to access really quality classes but also that sense of community. So rather than just sitting and watching a video, Birthbeat wraps the whole community around the women and their support person. They're able to reach out and speak to a registered midwife and have their questions answered in real time, which is unlike any other course in Australia. So good. I always love it when I'm hearing, especially programs with like health outcomes at the core of them, that this is the sort of, I guess, ammunition in the argument to say that like you can do life and successful career and successful leadership career from rural Australia. Diverse parts of the community that I feel do get attention and do get a light shine on them and we are seeing that dial moving. I just love it when I hear other people that are that are really <laughs> they're also drinking the same Kool Aid, yeah, hundred percent, a hundred percent. So I guess a question then is: you already have found pathways into leadership positions. Can you maybe choose an example of one of those positions or opportunities that you've had, and sort of take us a step back to? how you got there and whether that was sort of an active choice for you for you to pursue that or if those mm-hmm. sort of opportunities have sort of been a bit of that falling in lap or has it been a combination? I'd say it's been a combination and I will say um, I am very much like I think Birthbeat is a good example of I was frustrated at the lack of services that currently existed so I did something about it. Do you know what I mean? Like be the person, I, I like I love the be in the arena. Don't be the person saying what we don't have, let people know what we do have. Like I am a born optimist, always looking at, someone said to me the other day, are you constantly playing the glad game? I was like, I didn't even know what the glad game was. I was like, what What have I got not to be glad about? You know, it was you know, we're having this lovely weekend. But it is about saying, like I, I don't want to be the person that's complaining about the lack of when you can be going, okay, well, what's the opportunity that that thing creates? How that played out for me personally was around healthcare. It's an area that I'm hugely passionate about, particularly in rural and regional Australia. And as I said at the time, my dad is fine, by the way. I came home to help mum. He's since had lung cancer twice. But that highlighted to me and survived twice. Um, But what that highlighted to me was, you know, dad had a daughter who's a registered nurse, um, you know, he it was an incredibly strong and noisy advocate for him, but we were still really challenged in that 12 months. Um, I'm now currently helping my dad support my mum who has dementia and Alzheimer's and just the, you know, the challenges and the barriers to healthcare in rural Australia I found so frustrating. So through that I joined the Primary Healthcare Clinical Advisory Committee um, which was a non-paid, actually I think we got like a sitting fee, but it was you know not anything really significant. But like lots of women 
in leadership roles particularly, I find, in rural Australia. They often stay start in non-paid positions um, and, and often people come to me asking about advice, how to get onto boards and things. I am a yes person. I say yes. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll help out with that. So I, I had been on a couple of different committees, um, one being the PHN committee, one being the University of New England Smart Regional Incubator Advisory Group, um, and so I had some experience at a committee level and then I was invited to apply for a board position with the Primary Health Network, which is a federal board. So that was kind of not strategic. It wasn't like I planned to be on the PHN board. I'm delighted that I am there now. I love the work that we get to do for this community. But also if you're not showing up at that first, you know, saying yes to the committees, then it's unlikely that you're going to jump straight into a board career. So if that is something that women who are listening to this or anyone who's listening to this from a leadership point of view, in hindsight, I probably should have been a bit smarter about the strategy, but it was actually just something I really enjoyed doing. So it just came naturally to me. Yeah, and do you know what? I think sometimes that that's probably a good way to go because if it's something that you're passionate about and that you enjoy, mm. there is the longevity in it and you can suck it I up. I truly believe if you're, if, and I really do believe that if you're going into anything, like whether that's work or, you know, any sort of area in your life and all that you're being driven by is the dollar, it's just not going to be fun. Do you know what I mean? You've got to have the passion piece. Or, or for me, I have to have the passion piece. I have to have the service piece, you know, the three circles. What do people want? What do people need? What are people going to pay for? The sweet spots in the middle. Um, I need to find that sweet spot for myself personally. I need the passion. I need the service because that's what fuels me. I want to take you back slightly to you sort of talked around the the stigma and the narrative around the disadvantage of people being based in rural areas as far as access to leadership roles, positions and those sorts of things. I think the whole purpose of this podcast, of the connection table, of everything that we're trying to do is around the concept that there are not enough people from Triple R Australia sitting at decision-making tables, particularly those where decisions are being made about rural people. My question is around how how do we leverage that that idea of that being based in a rural area is an advantage? How do we actually change that narrative? What are the sort of strategies that rural Australians need to be doing or yep. what do we need to be doing to drive change in metropolitan areas? Well, like I can only speak from a rural perspective, um, but again, I think it's about growing regional communities. So, and I, I, I use this example from a health perspective. So, and, and just because currently we're having this issue in town, so I'm going to use this just as a little, so follow along with me. Um, I needed to see an orthopaedic surgeon last year. So I've just had a hip replacement 12 months ago, but there wasn't an orthopaedic surgeon that was able to do that here in Tamworth. I know I, it makes me sound about 90. So if anyone's listening to this, I'm actually only 41, but I have the body of a 90-year-old. <laughs> um, and I had to travel to Sydney for that. You know, I had private health insurance. I'm really privileged in that I did have that. But for people who aren't and are waiting on the public list, 
So we don't have, at the time, we didn't have a current orthopaedic surgeon practicing at our hospital. It was filled with locum positions. And people are like, that's terrible. That should be fixed. I was like, well, let's look at the bigger picture because that might sound like something really simple, but it's not that simple. Like it's looking at, okay, so why aren't we recruiting and retaining, and this is just one tiny little example. You could have very different examples for all different workforce issues that um, rural, regional, remote Australia is currently experiencing. But if I'm a young orthopaedic surgeon and I have just done how you know eight years of training, I've done medicine, I've gone on and I've become a specialist, and there's these amazing opportunities. And let's use this as an example. There's these robots that you can use in big Sydney hospitals to do this incredible surgery that you know is going to have a really good outcome for your patient but then you come and you do a placement in rural Australia and there aren't any there aren't any robots there's no access to that equipment so you're sort of doing a substandard procedure and then the argument becomes okay well we can't justify buying these really expensive robots well if we grew the population of this town we would be able to justify using the robot and then we would have the orthopedic surgeons and then we would have the healthcare, and then we would lose that inequity in healthcare, you know, around just that specific little one. So let's look at like collaboration. It's not just how do we get more orthopedic surgeons, it's how do we grow the region to a size that's going to require the best of the best living here. And that's I think we just need to be thinking bigger and how we can do that again is around being much more collaborative, much more strategic, really thinking bigger, looking at how and what needs to be addressed. And it's not just this, oh, okay, one tick. It's going to be many, many things. How do we provide federal and state tax benefits to companies that want to establish themselves in regional areas? Okay, that's going to have a flow on effect to housing. Great. How do we support housing in rural, rural regional and remote Australia? Great. How do we make sure the schools have got enough? Do you know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a big issue, but if we don't look at it with that big view of growing regional towns, not just sort of putting our hands in the air and going, oh, well, regional towns are getting smaller. We'll just all have to do telehealth. Come on, let's, you know, like, let's get really creative and go, or how do we grow these regional towns? And I know it's not something that you can do really easily, but we're going to get really busy in cities that are currently already at capacity, really expensive, really lousy living experience for some people. And why not look at, well, what's the alternative? And it's got to be a bigger, more strategic, collaborative approach. So decentralisation for the win. I, like, I, I think it's a great opportunity. Um, I also think we've got to stop the ch- changing the narrative of, um, you know, like, come to Tamworth. It's just like the city. You know, you won't miss out. And I was like, no, it's nothing like the city. That's what's good about it. <laughs> because we get these people to move here and they're like oh yeah but I really liked being able to have Korean and we don't have a great Korean restaurant you know like so really own how we market rural and regional and remote Australia needs to be a little bit more considered and a lot better. But that then might attract an amazing Korean family to relocate from a metropolitan area and then set up shop. Do it come to Tamworth I miss Korean. There is an absolute market for your product. (laughs) So I guess there is a question around then, like what are the risks about that geographic, like lack of geographic diversity at a government 
at an industry, at a community organisation level, well, I what, think if what you, risks does that pose? I think if you speak from like a, let's talk just New South Wales point of view, um, let's say, you know, one third of New South Wales lives in Sydney. Yeah, two thirds don't live in Sydney. So how are you hearing their voices? Um, how, like if you're talking about, you know, government, particularly government boards, that talk about health or water or energy, it's a very city-centric mindset if you don't bring the diversity of the different thinkers, the different experiences. What people who have different lived experience bring to the table is exactly that, a way to challenge how other people are living their life and experiencing their life. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. Like, like a lot of people, and I know I'm sort of, because health is an area that I'm really passionate about, but a lot of people who live outside of rural areas have no concept that we don't have any bulk billing opportunities apart from the local hospital. So if your child's sick, you haven't got the money to go and spend $130 at the GP that day, then your only option is to go and sit in the emergency department, which is a very poor outcome for everybody. Mm. So like that's one example that many people are not aware of. They just go to the medical centre. That we don't we don't have bulk billing medical centres. Scary, isn't it? Mm, mm, exactly. Because the 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 trickle down, well, not even the trickle, the cascade down the line for for everyone involved in that situation is a pretty poor outcome, like yeah, you said. Exactly. So this leadership journey of yours, I'm interested to take you right back to say high school. Were mm-hmm. you a prefect? Were you school captain? Were school you captain? But again, like even that was really um and so my mum was the school captain of our local school um, and then I was the school captain. So, you know, no pressure on you, Polly. She starts at that local school next year. <laughs> but um, I didn't see, like I genuinely, you know how people say, oh, you know, whatever, I genuinely did not see myself as a leader. And I remember that, so I used to wag assembly. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so we lived two blocks from our school, so I would often just not go to school until after assembly. You got another half an hour, bit of a sleep in, didn't have to be there for assembly. I wagged the assembly when they announced the prefects. I was the school captain. And two of my best friends, you know, again, showing my age, went to the public phone, the gold phone, called me, said, you need to get to school. You've just been announced school captain. You weren't at school. Oops. <laughs> but, like, it was, it was a very genuine um, shock and surprise to me, and that was probably the beginning of my, you know, kind of leadership journey. And And then... And when you say leadership journey, now as an adult, I reflect back on it was the beginning of the leadership journey, but at the time it was just organising assemblies and school dances and fundraisers. But I loved it. I thrived in that space. Isn't that so funny? See, Mm. I wasn't a prefect and I applied and I was so miffed that I did not get it. (laughs) (laughs) Like such a big deal at the time, but then you also just go, oh, gosh, it just really does not matter, does it? Yeah, isn't that funny? So if you could sort of peg out that leadership journey over the last sort of 20-odd years post-school captain, mm-hmm. um, what would you sort of, can you sort of touch no, on? I'd say some... it lay incredibly dormant for about 15 years 
um, until I was seconded into that nursing and midwifery role. Um, and that was when I was sort of in charge of a big budget, a big group of staff, and I was hugely challenged in that role. I did not have the skill set. I did it quite poorly at times and I, I didn't enjoy the experience. I actually found it quite miserable. And it's a very lonely and very isolating experience to be the boss. Um, I'm also a people pleaser. So, you know, I wanted people to like me and it's really challenging to be liked when particularly you're a middle management leader. Um, so you're sort of having to please those above you and those below you. But again, through sort of studying leadership with the Australian Rural Leadership Foundation, just being aware of the kind of leader I was. So part of that program used to be that you would go and do two weeks intensive learning and I was a very command and control, just get it done, do it my way or it's the highway, which is just anyone listening, not a great leadership style. Um, I had, you know, I would often leave a wake behind me of people who were disengaged, felt like they'd been used, like, oh, I was crap. I was absolute crap. But, uh, like, I'm... I feel like at least I've had the ability to learn and to reflect and to go, that's not the kind of person I'm, and leader I'm going to be in the future. I didn't understand about different personalities, introverts. I didn't understand about people who need process because that wasn't me. I'm an extrovert. I'm not process driven. And I remember one time, so we would work in this group and we're abseiling off a cliff. And one of the guys who's you know, good mate, still a good mate, wanted to make sure that we wrote out all the steps on a piece of paper. And I was like, you don't need all the pieces written out on a step of paper. And he was like, I need them, Edwina. And I was like basically just saying, no, just jump off the goddamn cliff, would you? You know, because they put time pressures on you and think. Anyway, we were coached and we wrote it all out. He never even looked at the piece of paper. He was fine. But it was such a key learning moment for me to go, but for him to feel comfortable and safe, in that situation, he needed to take the and literally two minutes to write out the steps. So I now have such a better awareness of, well, it's not what I need to get this process or to get this job done or to tick that box, but what does everyone in the room need? What does everyone in the group need to be able to do this comfortably and all be, you know, like moving together? And, you know, I'm, I'm can be busy and quite focused and very task orientated and I remember the midwives that I would be working with you know hey how are you you know walking around with my clipboard and my folder so busy and officious almost and when I came back from this couple of weeks in the Kimberley a, a midwife said hey how are you you know I was like I'm well I'm really well how are you and she sort of stared at me like what is wrong with you woman I was like oh Clearly, I hadn't been very good at the whole engagement piece with my staff. Um, so it was great. I just got to, like, use the skills that I was learning in real time. But, yeah, absolutely, you know, I was pretty rubbish. And I use it now with my children. Uh, key, key mm. there. I am, um, you can't actually see, I'm actually crying, laughing, oh, yeah. like, holding like, my laughing. And can't you just picture me, like, the boss from yes. hell who just arrives and is just like, get it done, don't matter how you do it, just... And I don't want to hear about it, like, like just. But now I'm much more aware of my personality, and it doesn't mean my personality has changed. I am just have better self awareness. That's what good leadership is to me as well. Everyone talks about the 
what good leadership is. It's actually about how you are impacting others and having that self-awareness. Oh my gosh. I literally, I feel like you're just describing me. <laughs> it's so confronting. It's great for those people. It's great for those people who like that stuff. It's so debilitating for those people who that's not their style. Oh, I can sympathise. I can remember I have did my my first DISC assessment before and a friend actually did the assessment for me and then she said, hey, so I think we should probably have coffee to, like, go through your results. I was like, oh, God. Is it that <laughs> bad? Yeah. She sat down and was like, went through the the different quadrants of the disc profile and she said, look, to be honest, I've actually never seen such a high eye in my <laughs> life. You were literally not anywhere else. That's all you are. Yep. And then, but as she went through each of the, the quadrants, she got to one of them and I said, I'm sorry, but like I know that you do this in like group situations with your mm. colleagues and things and I just actually can't even fathom the concept of having that profile read out in front of my colleagues. Like, wouldn't they just be mortified? And she cracked up laughing. She's like, it is such an eye response mm. because mm. they would be stoked being described like that. And I was like, oh, my mm. God. Anyway, of course, yeah. I went home to my husband and said, oh, imagine this if you had to do this at work. And he's like, that's what I am. Yeah, and you're like, oh. So I was like, I, oh. I, and I will say, um, so my husband and I have both done Myers-Briggs and we did it together. And this was when Polly was six months old. So I didn't know my husband was an introvert when I married him. I didn't really understand the concept. You know, you'd heard it talked about, didn't truly understand the concept. So we did this full day and we talked about how introvert and extrovert and how it can make you feel and how introverts can feel depleted being in the company of extroverts. And I was like, what is wrong with these people? You know, people are awesome. Let's all hang out together and have drinks later. And we got back up to the hotel room and I was so excited. I was like, you're an introvert. Isn't this amazing? I'm an extrovert, but you're an introvert. And I just think we need to. And he was like, hey, what did you just learn? I was like, oh, God. I was like, but I done. <laughs> but now I'm really conscious and aware of that. And I, you know, I can tell when he's had a really full on day at work. And so I do, you know, and I'm not saying like I'm going to fetch his slippers and massage his feet or anything, but like I'll, I'll be like, hey, you know, I know that when you get home, you like to just have a bit of quiet time, decompress, you know, go out, feed the chooks, get some firewood, whatever that looks like. And before I blast at you about my day, I'm going to let you have that time. Um, and, you know, I, I believe that's a gift. A hundred percent. And I think in a leadership position, whether it's at work, in a community organisation, that awareness of yourself and your own personality and then awareness of what the rest of the group is like mm. is so key. But I genuinely, it sounds ridiculous, but that like doing the disc myself has like actually been really impactful in a positive way on my marriage well and yeah. truly yeah and I bet your parenting as well you know like so yeah. yeah very true okay I really always love to wrap these conversations up with a couple of similar questions mm -hmm. do you have a favorite podcast 
that is your go-to for leadership goodness? Really? And I will say that I go through, like, like I always think of, you know, you're, I, I constantly think that you're on this evolving. So it will depend what stage I'm at. Do you know what I mean? Am I, and like what season, what stage, when I was growing and scaling the business, it was all, or even starting out. So when I was starting out, I was always like listening to startup podcasts and hearing other stories from other people and particularly other stories from other female startups. I just loved that. And then when we were getting the big corporate sales, I just, you know, ate sales podcasts, do you know I mean? how to be the best at sales, how to be the best at conversions. Then it's been a lot of, um, so I've, and I guess I alluded to it earlier, last year was a really tough year for me with a lot of chronic pain. So I went very deep and very heavily into the whole understanding how pain can affect your mental health and your well-being. So I sort of went supercharged onto the well-being. Um, and now I'm a little bit at the what's it all about? Do you know what I mean? I'm a bit at that what's my legacy? What's the, you know, what do you want to leave behind? What do you care about? Um, so for me, I listen to a lot of podcasts probably more around people's lives and have led interesting lives and done amazing things. So not so much specifically on leadership, but I like just hearing about other people's journeys. You will never get me listening to true crime. I'm always, it's, it's all personal or business growth. So good. Um, then a favourite book, leadership book? Uh, I loved Dark Emu. Like I still just think for, I think every Australian, what it opened my eyes to um, about our history and the way that we continue, you know, and I think it's a very topical time, but I, I just, I think that's something that every leader should have an awareness around. And last question, potato cake or potato scallop? Ooh, scallop. What's a cake? It's ridiculous. South Australian people. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What's the a reaction. juice box or a pair of bathers? I'm like, no, they're swimmers. It's a popper and it's a scallop. Let's just be clear on that. <laughs> I like that that's the one I'm most passionate about. I can't think of a book or a podcast, but it's a scallop. I'll tell you right now. I just, it's the most ridiculous question to ask at the end, but I, like I can't it. help myself. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot, Joe. I will just say know? one other thing, Listen. can I, before we do wrap up. What we can do more to get more seats at the table is refer more people to those positions, advocate for them, write a referral letter, be a referee. Tell people about what you want, but also let them know. So like just this morning in the office um, and I'm looking at a new board position and one of the girls in the office said, so, you know, what is a board? Like, do they get paid? Don't they get paid? How does it come about? And it's like it's this secret business and it shouldn't be because it should be people who, you know, want to do good things and are really committed and passionate but we need diversity in our boards and definitely in Australia. It's like the same 30 people are on all the boards. Um, so we need to commit to being really generous to other people with our knowledge and our information, and I think that's important. Fabulous advice to end off. Edwina, I could literally chat to you for hours, but thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Pleasure, Joe. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of Take a Seat, a podcast by The Connection Table. This podcast aims to encourage others to consider what their own leadership journey and trajectory can look like. To find out more about The Connection Table's mission to get more rural Australians a seat at the decision-making table, head to our website, www.theconnectiontable.com.